0: Developers, 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 developers,
1: developers, 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 developers.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Static Void Podcast. I'm Jess Chadwick. I'm Todd Snyder.
0: And I'm Chris Gomez.
2: And we are your hosts. Uh, We're recording this on the evening of October 21st, 2015, and in this episode of the podcast, we're going to be talking about Nulls. And I know some of you might find it hard to believe that we're going to spend an entire episode talking about Nulls, but I think we're going to be able to do it. Uh, So, object reference not set to a reference of an object, has befuddled many the novice programmer, and is the scorn of not only the Season.net developer, but developers in Java, C, and pretty much every other language. So in this episode, Chris, Todd, and I are going to chat about some tips, tricks, and best practices, and the pain that we've had in dealing with Null. Uh, so, Chris, you uh, you kind of brought up this topic tonight. Do you want to kind of kick us off?
0: Yeah, I mean, we all probably have stories like this. and And one of them that I remember was that, and this is actually not just a story that happened to me recently. It's probably happened dozens of times over the last 10 years, is you get the bug report and it comes in from QA or maybe even the field. And they say, yeah, you know, we wanted to see if a developer knew what this error meant. It was object not set to reference of an object. Do you know what that means in the system? (laughs) And when that comes in, you just shake your head because you're
2: thinking it could mean anything, right? Right. Right. It means something got screwed up and I have no idea. Do you have a stack trace? Can I at least see the line of code that it happened in? Yeah. Or it means means the developer forgot to code something. (laughs) Yeah, right. And and you're just completely hosed. Yeah. So
1: uh, what's
0: interesting is I I had been doing a little bit of research because uh, I was trying to figure out, you know, a way to deal with this stuff. And along the way, I discovered that this isn't uh, something that was always in computer science. It was actually invented by um, Sir Tony Hoare, right? So we're talking about someone who was knighted for their contributions to computer science. And in uh, inventing the uh, type system for references in the Algol language in 1965, Tony Hoare decided that um, you know a way to solve the problem of what to do about references that maybe didn't have uh, a kind of value to go along with it was to allow a null reference. And so, in 2009, uh, there's a quote from a, uh, a video where he apologized. <laughs> to to the world for inventing the null reference and I think we'll put this uh we should put this link in the show notes. He says Oh yeah, it'll be in there. I call it my billion dollar mistake. It was the invention of the null reference in 1965. Later he says I couldn't resist the temptation to put in a null reference simply because it was so easy to implement. This has led to innumerable errors, vulnerabilities and system crashes which have probably caused a billion dollars of pain and damage in the last 40 years.
2: Yeah, and he's he's probably right too. No, but so my, my problem with this is how can you just flat out call it a mistake, right? Because null it has a meaning. It 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 it, it means pretty specifically, you know, it's it's nothing, it's neutral, it is I don't know what it is, right? It's not anything um, of significance, basically,
0: right? The thing that, that gets me is is I wonder when we decide to either return null, maybe from a from a method. Or we say that null is a is a meaning that we will allow for this reference. The problem I have with it is are we saying that it's null because we don't have data? Do we have a reason we don't have it? And do we know like why we don't have it? And all of those things are in conflict and none of that's documented by just saying null. So when I if I if you were to, to if I were to write a function that maybe is supposed to return you a document. Just we'll just keep it super simple. And I don't have it. So I return you null. Now, you as the caller, do you have any idea what I'm trying to tell you? Do I not have it because something went wrong? Do I not have it because it doesn't exist? Or is there even a reason I can give you? Do I do I even know the reason? And so, in that respect, I've really come to favor trying to be descriptive to the caller. And and that doesn't necessarily mean just using patterns like the null object pattern. It just means trying to say, I need to reason about what I'm going to return. And I want to return something that describes the situation. I'm not willing to just say, okay, null, because null isn't descriptive. It doesn't tell you what it does. You You can go document what you think okay, in this instance, it means that we didn't have a document. Well, wait, well, why couldn't I give you a document, some kind of object that, that simply says that? We do that on the web, we say 404. We don't just say, eh, I don't know what happened. We say 404. So you're
2: talking about something like error codes?
0: Well, certainly error codes are one way, right? But um, one of the things that that kind of happened in the .NET transition is, as we said, we're not really returning error codes anymore, right? We're returning, we're, we're saying, if, if something exceptional happens, then we throw an exception. But it, but it may not be exceptional for a document to not exist, right? So um, what, if, what if your document object, one of the things that, that you check for is, well, now, what I'm telling you is the document didn't exist. It's a document. It's a version of the object that indicates that it didn't exist. And that's, that it's a little difficult to reason about because we're, we're probably used to just saying, well, what, what's wrong with just getting back null? I just don't I just don't feel like it's descriptive enough and that when I sit down someone new to the project, am I gonna have to inform them? Like, oh no, don't worry when you get nulls back for this. It's cool. It means it didn't exist. Well then why don't I say so?
2: No, right. So I appreciate what you're saying. I, I I'm I like where you're going with this. I'm not sure I quite agree, but completely. But I think you're saying, you know, when you get a null back, it's not specific about why you got that null back. So what what I started out with was null can be a perfectly legitimate um option for the, for the avail a value right a specific value, so in other words, in a database right a column is null, meaning that it is allowed to not have data in it, so you can have a record in that database that that record has that column, but that column doesn 't have any data, and that 's perfectly legitimate it 's an optional field right you 're you're, you're not required to have data, so what should the value be in that column when it is, it is optional and the, the person or the, the thing, the process that entered that row chose not to put any data in that column, right? So that's a perfectly legitimate state. But when you go and pull that out and you get null from that column field, when you go and try and extract the field from that column and you get null, I think what you're saying is that when you get null, you don't know if it's because it's legitimately a, the absence of data or if something went wrong. I guess. Is that what you're getting at? Like, why did you get null?
0: I think it's that the, the universe of possibilities. Just it's not described. You know, you know, null doesn't tell me enough. And that, now you've, you've jumped into something that I've thought about a lot is there's a difference is there's a difference between code and data. And it's particularly dangerous in .NET yes. code because yes. in C sharp, if I get a null reference from you and then I try to act on it, a property or method. Uh, barring some of the features that we have in the language coming up, and if I don't guard against this, I'm going to blow up. I'm going to throw. Okay, I'm that's throw fine.
2: I'm, I'm perfectly willing to partition this conversation but, of but, saying that, that data is like properties well, in, a, in an object or something like that. That I mean, would be if a, we bit wanna, of a cop out. And and well, I do yeah. I do still have this bias
0: against saying null is okay in the database too, although one of the problems is, is I don't have enough workarounds for a lot of situations and you've brought them up is the situation of, I have this data that's cohesive and it belongs together in this row, but you know what? I don't have this person's address. So, so what am I supposed to do?
1: So let me throw something in here, kind of a side tangent to this. So one of the things I think a lot of people deal with that's similar to this is like a primary key. If I have a new record, right? The key doesn't currently have a value in most cases. because I haven't persisted it. Um, So how do people handle that? Well, I've worked in all kinds of different things. You use negative one if it's a number. You may generate a number on the fly. You may have an object that sort of represents that number. I think ultimately, Chris, what you're talking about is a lot to do with state and state management. Things are in certain states. With languages like C Sharp, JavaScript, whatever we do use during day-to-day, we allow null to represent lots of different states. And the problem is we shouldn't. We should be thinking about a, when the, the primary key is null, it means it's a new record. So you should have an object or something that sort of represents what that state is. I think ultimately that's the bigger problem, is our choices are it has a value that has some meaning, or there's null. We almost sort of need a different one, which I think the null object reference is trying to try to solve from a pattern point of view, but even that sort of leads to other problems. I, I mean, that's basically what you're talking about, that we ultimately, the developer, instead of just using as a catch-all for null, we need to basically go into code and say, when these conditions are met, I should be doing returning something else. And in some cases, that may even be an exception. You just
2: brought up the null uh, null object pattern. Do you want to go into that a little bit? Is it too uh, soon really for never that? I've used it, so I, I really can't describe it. I'm in the same exact boat.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know it exists, but I don't, I don't think I've ever, ever used it, so... I don't know if i right, can So I'll, I'll
2: take a stab at it. So the the null object pattern, as I understand it, um, I believe I, I heard about it um, from Martin Fowler, um, and so I, I don't I don't know if he came up with it or not. But frankly, it doesn't matter. I, I basically, boiled down, it means that in order to avoid nulls throughout your applications, you always your your contract is that everything always returns some object and never returns null. And so in those cases where you have the absence of something, right? when you say, go and get me client with the ID one, and there is no client in the database with the ID one, you will always get back a client object, and that client object will represent Null. No, it will be the null client object, or no client object, or you know whatever you call it. I mean, in the pattern, they often in in the implementations that I've seen, they literally call it the null client, right? The null object. It is an object that is not a null value, but it's called the null null object. And I honestly, I've tried implementing that. I've tried implementing it just this week, right? So at work. <laughs> This past week, I've looked at my large legacy code base and a significant amount of lines of code are, are, are significant or um, a significant line of code, a significant amount. Of, <laughs> Jesus Christ. You're trying to say lots of code yields nulls. <laughs> yes. A significant number of lines of code in my code right now are dedicated to dealing with nulls right? They're dedicated to if null equals, if this equals null, then do this. Otherwise do this, right? And then, then once you've checked that the, the outer object is, is not null, then you start diving into that object and you say, okay, well, if this property on this object that I already checked for null is not null, then do this. Otherwise do this. And finally, 12 lines deep, you get into the actual logic, which is if this property equals one, then return x, Right. Like it's overwhelmed the business code, right? Yes, right. Yeah, it's overwhelmed it's the business logic. Right. right. So in this twenty lines of code, one line, there's one line of business logic. Yeah. The rest is literally null handling. And yeah, that is not annoying. even an exaggeration.
0: Oh, right? it's super annoying too. I mean right. so you know what's interesting is in, in C sharp six, you know, this, this <laughs> motivation it was uh, to create what, what the C sharp team sometimes kind of jokingly calls the Elvis operator. Which is uh, the question mark dot, which encapsulates that null check for you and essentially guards uh, it won't it won't continue accessing the property or the method if if the result of the object that you're you know trying to dot into is null. Instead, it'll just propagate the null back and so
2: right. It'll the whole expression will evaluate yeah, to null yeah, without throwing the null reference. And exception. you can
0: chain all this stuff together, and you can probably you know rewrite a lot of your code. And I I think it's a good thing. I'll be honest. I actually think it's a good thing, and I also feel like it's still the cop-out, right? <laughs> like, so I did that.
2: Yeah. So I did that. Mm-hmm. Right? So before C Sharp 6, you don't have that operator, right? That's the, that's the new operator. Um, but what I did was I created a static method, an extension method, that basically accomplishes the same thing, right? So you pass in a lambda, and... That That method will look at that lambda and if it uh, results in a null reference exception or if it is null right if the value is null that you 're passing in then don 't don 't evaluate the expression, just return null for the whole expression and then you can daisy chain those things together you know you can you can uh, return the result and then do a with i 'm sorry I call it with my method, my my extension method is with right, and so you can say with this and then the result of that dot with dot with dot with right and so you kind of daisy chain these things all together and that has helped it has helped so it's now taken those 10 lines of null checking code and turned them into three or four just because i put each with on its own line just to be very explicit right so i kind of say with and so it's still more code right it's still i'm still having to put this extension method, the method that I'm calling with the extension method on top of everything. And I'm still adding a whole bunch more characters and it's still not as easy to read. Now this C sharp six operator will help with that because it's just a question mark, right? But at the end of the day, if that whole thing, if that whole expression evaluates to null, you're still left with a null, right? You're just basically deferring the problem. And if you can defer it long enough so that you don't care, then the problem has gone away but I've still found that I still have null checks, right? I'm still every once in a while checking, well, if this is null, then do this. Otherwise, do this.
1: So I have a question.
2: Um, T-sharp for a little while, camera what version,
1: introduced string empty. How often do you guys use that? Because right when it comes to strings, I try to make most things string empty. It doesn't yeah. solve all the null problems, but it, I found it, it minimizes it.
2: No, then I just use string is null or empty, right? Sure, or is null it. or white space. Right, and it's the same thing. It's just the variation of a null check. Now, instead of a null, you also have to check to see if you actually have a string length.
0: True. That is true. And this goes back to the difference between null and 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 an empty value. So this right. this happens in SQL Server and it also happens with the C sharp the net string, so it's a great point. Yeah, it's good. Your example. string can be null. Your string could be empty. And in your situation, empty might be valid right that, that might be that right. in fact none yeah, of the
1: user could type it in
0: it, or it might even have a meaning Right. Yeah. You know, maybe a, maybe the null string in in you want to define in your software that either in the database or in uh the code what you're defining perhaps is that this person uh doesn't have a middle name and it's not because we didn't ask it's because they just simply don't have a middle name yeah right um but well know, is that
2: null or is that empty their middle name isn't blank
0: well so that's that's the thing right and how do you define that how do you how do you do that in such a way that you don't necessarily have to rely on documentation and yeah. it's not because i'm just so anti documentation it's because you know not that this is another show isn't it but when does that documentation get written <laughs> it never gets written new developers come on the project and then eventually eventually what happens is one of them says like, oh, they don't have a middle name. Well, I guess that's null, isn't it? And now you're using it two different ways in your database or in your code.
1: So you, you bring up an interesting thing. One of the things that really irks me more than anything else is when people, you can use a name as an example, people will litter their code with, um, I can't remember the pattern or the code spell off the top of my head. I think it's feature envy. So the idea of like a name, instead of having the name object have a property that says, give me the full name, People would have code that says first name, middle name, last name. But they're like, oh, well in some cases middle name's not there, so I have to now null check that. I think a lot of code could be solved for these problems by what you're talking about with state management issues, but also just having true using object oriented programming techniques. Let every object maintain its own state and check yes. its own state. Yes. So having a property that says, Am I valid? Right. Or is first name valid or whatever you in your case you needs to be is so much better than having is this null
2: scattered yes. through your program 100 times? Right. So in my legacy code base, that was the first. Before I even introduced this extension method that I was talking about earlier, that was the first approach that I used is, first of all, for my IDs, my identifiers that I'm passing all around, I, I moved from defining them as strings to actually passing around objects. So if I wanted That's a very client competent. ID, that yet, the fact that the value happens to be a string is irrelevant. I passed around an object called a client ID. You can never pass anything else in because that is the parameter. That's the type of the parameter, right? So that's just taking advantage of the typing system. And then that also allows me to, off of that object, have a property that says, is it a valid ID, right? Does it have something? And so is it a valid ID? That logic could literally be is the string not empty? Is it not null and not empty? Or it could actually be some more stuff, right? And so in my case, I'm actually checking for kind of the validity of the pattern of the string. My my client IDs, for example, have a certain pattern. And so if it doesn't meet that pattern, then it's not a valid ID. So it might even have a value. But if that value is not a a proper pattern, it's not a proper client ID. But I still ran into the same problem. I still needed that client ID, right? That client ID itself could be null when well, that United I mean, is still still an issue the um a
1: lot of people call that they call it an intelligent key, even though you're still stringing it to covers. the idea is you could change what it is or do different things yeah I've been thinking about it for a while and, and I know that c, Chris mentioned c sharp is going to be adding some things. I'm not sure that extra operator is going to do it. I kind of feel like as developers, part of the problem is we're still writing code like it was written thirty or forty years ago. We're still doing it with strings and ints, yeah, we're using c sharp and object oriented programming techniques. But ultimately, the, I think the root of the problem is we're using primitives. And until we get away from primitives, we're going to have this weird issue. Sure. Because sure. with objects, the easy solution
2: to that is just code it so it never is null. What does that mean to get away from in, in a primitive, though? I mean, at the end of the day, everything is comes down to a primitive, right?
1: Under the covers, they're primitives. Well, maybe you could talk about if you had true, true like, domain-driven design. You have value objects versus... Identity objects, right? Identity objects always have a key. Value objects don't have a key. You're never trying to deal. Your model represents things in the real world and not instant
2: strings. Yeah, but that doesn't get away from the null problem because that object itself could be null. But the model itself, like you talk
1: about your key, your key should never be null. It could be in the state of it's not saved yet. But it's a toad. It can be. Well, yes, if physically the language can let it be, but that's References, a bug.
0: yeah. There's nothing we can do about how .NET allows references to be null, right? doesn't allow structs to be null.
1: <laughs> it doesn't oh, allow value types. There.
0: Let's not even go there. But let's not go there for, for now. Um, <laughs> but in terms of, of, like, you know, let's say how many code bases do you think are out there that for a postal code, they just took a string. They just say string postal code. Instead of taking the time to going ahead and making a small value object, you know, Uh, zip code, postal code, whatever you want to call it, that part of what it tries to do to help you out from day to day is not allow itself to get into an invalid state. Now, this doesn't solve the problem because so far we've talked about um, the state of references trying to protect you. But one of the things that nothing in the world can protect us from is that if I have a method that takes this new zip code object that does a really good job of, uh, of trying to make sure it's always in a valid state... Well, I can still put null in there because that's the language we've been given, right? You can pass yes. a null for any reference to a, to any method that wants to take a reference end of ball game. Like that's just how it works. And that's why we were talking about guard clauses and the Elvis operator and so on. But if we flip it and just say, well, let's talk for a second about like a value object. Okay, so my zip code, when I initialize it, I can give it a string. That's cool. You know, 90631 or 1NZPJ or whatever. But... uh. I, do, I never deal with it as though it were a string it's a zip code it's it's a real thing and it might even have rules to validate it itself so that i can't put in negative 90631 because that has no meaning to anywhere in my system it just needs to go away and never be allowed so you know by eliminating primitive assess- obsession i think you can address the issue um minimizes impact it, you can minimize the impact or at least what you're doing is you're starting to put business rules alongside the objects that are representing the real world pieces of your system. Yeah.
1: I definitely think the, the the reason why I brought it up and and Chris, you're you're exactly right is ultimately you have to deal with no, but if you can deal with no in one or two places, instead of hundreds of places or thousands of places, then it's easier to maintain code. And if someday we invent something better, like you're talking about the operator, now the operator, I want to put that code one place. I'm not going to hundreds of thousands of lines of code where I have to make this change. Ultimately, I think it comes down to developers need not to be as lazy. Now, that's a very bold statement, but I think a lot of times, and I make this mistake all the time, when an operator get the, the operator error, it's because I didn't code for that situation. I allow that to happen. Think they Can you elaborate right on that? Well, basically, to me, is there basically three or four high level layers in an application, right? There's a user input, right? And the user input, they're never going to put null in. They may say I want to delete something, or I may select something, but they're never going to type the word "Nolan," right? It's us putting that state definition based on
2: whatever action they perform.
1: The other yeah, side, yeah, or
2: <laughs> or the absence of sending down that data, right? So if we have, I, I know I'm not I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you. I'm just kind of expanding upon the situation here. Right? I'm, this yeah. still falls under the category of developer choice, right? But if I have a a contract, you know, my service, my server side expects an object that has five properties, but the client only sends down four, then those other two are going to be null. It's still a valid scenario, meaning that the user chose not to put any data into those properties, right? They chose not to give values. So as a
1: developer, what you need to do is make sure, there's a term for this because it's called defensive programming. The idea that anywhere those potential things that are null, you need to check for them. Or better, you, the object itself exposes ways to check for that stuff. So the actual null check for that object is contained within that object.
0: Well, that might fall in the category of like guard clauses, right? And so yeah, guard I mean, clauses require the, to the programmer to take care because the compiler doesn't help you. So I'm curious if either of you have experience with uh, what I think is truly a little-known Uh, feature or project called code contracts that, you know, we can use as .NET developers today. And this now brings you static compile time checking for things like null references. It's more than that. But one thing you could do is say, hey, this method, when it gets called, uh, these parameters cannot be null. And now you get a compile time everywhere that that is called the, the compiler runs along and says, well, really the code contract stuff runs along and says, ah, ah you have a problem. You told me that this method took three reference th- references and that none of them could be null, but you called it here with a null or the code path allowed it to be null. You have a problem here. And um, I don't think, hard, I mean, if we talked about the universe of code, .NET code that uses code contracts, are we like under under half a percent? And do either of you have experience with it?
2: I've heard of it. And have never used it. I've used it a lot. Um, I've started introducing it on on this legacy code base. I started introducing it on previous code bases. Um, it's always been a small portion of the code base, and so maybe that's why I haven't seen the value. But I haven't. I know. I know that that is the goal. What you just explained, Chris. But I've never actually seen that in action. It's never actually helped me. See this, right? It's never actually f- sure. helped me find a situation in which, oh, you're passing in a null and that's not allowed. Uh, I've seen demos of it doing right. that, right? I, right? I know the promise, but in practice, it's never actually helped me. And I I've think we can even link it.
0: to one of those demos. I've, I think we should show yeah, sure. uh, Greg Young talking about how great code contracts are. Uh, it's a few years old, um, and I do think it's an eye opener for many devs. But i I was curious about the practical experience, like, hey man, I I love this thing and I'm taking it everywhere I'm going because it really did save us, you know? Yeah, yeah. So what about the other option out there, which is IL modification? Uh, Something like PostSharp, um, where you might put an attribute over your function that says the same thing, essentially. And then what happens is a tool like PostSharp comes along later and rewrites the code, the IL, it's called either IL modification or IL weaving. Now, the... And, and and what's what scares people about this? There's a lot of things that scare people about it. The first is is that well now you got to pay for something, right? Because you'll have to pay for post and there will be developer seats to pay for, and uh that'll always be a non-starter, right? That could that, oh, in a lot of places that's a non. I mean, that's a whole show right there, right? In, in well, even <laughs> if it's not
2: money, right? Even if you're not talking about monetary cost, you're right. paying for the the, uh, the conceptual yeah. overhead of introducing that into your yeah. project. And I think a lot
0: of people are really uncomfortable with the idea of of IL weaving because then the debugging story gets complicated. And I don't want to step on the Post Shark people because they'll tell you we have tools to help you with that story. But it's the other way, or another way, that this has been dealt with.
1: So I think that's really the question is it sounds like, at least from my point of view, the way I've dealt with this is defensive programming. I know we're kind of mainly focusing on, on the C-sharp side of things. I think one of the reasons I haven't gravitated to, to code contracts is I don't write that much C-sharp code anymore. And the, the code I tend to write, I do use defensive programming because it just works for what I'm doing. I write a lot of JavaScript code, where this stuff is even worse because we have a new thing to deal with called undefined. Yes. They don't <laughs> okay. have null, they have undefined. They're they have both. another variation of the same state. And I hate writing that code a 100 places. And if you don't write it, you're even worse because you don't get exceptions. To your
2: app just blows up in a weird state, and then you're like, why doesn't my app work? <laughs> yeah. Well, I actually find dealing with nulls in uh, in JavaScript to be easier just because a null object just equates to a falsy equation, right? They have tr- JavaScript has truthy and falsy. Not true and false, but truthy and falsy. <laughs> so the zero, the number zero yes. is false. You know, a get positive the, uh, empty number string, right? is true. An empty string is false. Right.
0: And I think it's true that null and undefined are falsy with the double equals, right?
2: No, no, no. So I'm just saying, if you say if and pass in an undefined or a null or an empty string, yeah, it string, will translate to be it will undefined. It. Yeah, the if statement will be false. It,
0: what if it will you've decided to false? I don't want to, I don't want to rely on truthy falsy and all of my devs understanding that table backwards and forwards, and we're only going to use triple equals.
2: Yeah, I mean, double, double, I'm taking advantage of the fact that, you know, double equals is not as strict as triple equals. That's, that's the whole point is basically, I can say, if this object is false, literally, you know, is the Boolean value false, or if it's zero, right, assuming that zero is not a valid, a valid option, otherwise, I will check for that explicitly. But assuming I will allow a numeric value, and if that value is is zero, then I'll, I'll accept that as false, or undefined or null. Any of those values, which and and I'm I perfectly accept the fact that any of them could come in, they all equate to me to be null and that's fine. Then I'll you know, then I'll return, I'll exit from the function or whatever it is, however I'm gonna handle that scenario. In other words, it's not a valid option. It's not it's it's not a valid value that I'm gonna continue processing. So I'm gonna cheat, right? In those cases where it's not that easy. And I do have to go back to that triple equals behavior to really say, well, make sure that this is a number and that number is equals zero or equal to one or or whatever, right? And if it's anything other than a number and a number that is specifically equal to zero, as opposed to like the string one, you know, or the string zero, but specifically a number one or a number zero, then I will go and I'll make those specific, specific triple equals checks and I'll make that very explicit in my code. But in javascript that's how that 's how I 'm able to take advantage of the dynamic nature of javascript, and that, thats I see that as a good thing i 'm well aware literally every single time I do it i 'm well aware of what I 'm doing and the fact that I 'm taking advantage of that dynamic nature. And, you know, I think, which uh, junior developer or one that's not really familiar with this whole falsy-truthy concept may not be thinking this, and then they might get themselves into trouble, but I am thinking of that every single time I write that if statement, and I take advantage of that behavior.
1: So it sounds like in many ways, the really the solution to no, there isn't really no great out-of-the-box silver s- bullet solution. It's programming around it. It's defensive programming. It's planning for for a language or environment you're working in, knowing the side effects of null or truthy falsy and programming
2: to it. I guess. So can you elaborate on that more? So you've you've talked a couple times about defensive programming. Can you kind of talk about some of the defensive programming techniques that you've employed? So we talked about code contracts and things, and those are sort of,
1: I think, fall in that same umbrella. That's more of a compiler time thing. But to me, defensive programming is about at runtime, you have encode that checks conditions. Uh, Chris talked before about how when you have parameters in a method, you throw exceptions, right? You can say, is this this parameter null or, or things like that. I don't know if that officially fits into the defensive programming. In my book, I hate those things. Sometimes you have to do that, but I think it actually causes a proliferation of ex- exceptions all over the place, which leads to some other problems we need to deal with. So basically for me is I want to put as much state checking into objects as possible to have well-described methods. So, for example, like middle name. I don't want to have code that says is middle name null, skip it. What I will have is give me full name method. Because then I don't have to worry about null uh, any other place other than basically in that object. In cases I do need to worry about null, I am basically checking the condition. Is this object in a state I need to be in before I use it?
0: It sounds like... To relate it to a real world, just to try and relate it to a real yeah. world idea, just, you know, is like, let's think about your driver's license. In order to get your, your driver's license, your ID card, you had to fill out a form and supply some information and you may not have supplied all of it. I mean, yes, some of it some was probably things
1: were required, not required,
0: not some things were not required. And so what happens is there's an, there is some magic. Okay. That happens, uh, in the bureaucracy That still allowed you to get an ID card that you can still present to me. I'm a third party now and I need to, uh, maybe I'm just checking ID so you can buy alcohol. I would just throw that out there, right? There's enough information and it's presented to me in, I don't have to deal with null checking. I look at your ID and I go, well, uh, it's got your birthday on here and that's what i needed and it's in the form where i can use it and it's it's yeah. in a form where i'll never it, it's not screwed up it doesn't it doesn't say error on it it doesn't have that excel <laughs> it doesn't have that excel thing
1: where there's a pound sign error
0: right That'd and i look pretty at it weird and i say if you in, yeah <laughs> i can serve you
1: 711 i'm sorry we have no exception We yeah. can't buy you any uh, alcohol today right. <laughs> i can
0: serve you alcohol because this card uh, gave me, it's an interface where I can see the information in a, in a way that's always valid, and it sounds like what you're trying to do is you're saying, I'm going to create objects that will, they'll take in the input, they will deal with the pain, but the interface to the programmer on the on the output end is going to be less pain or no pain if you can help it.
1: Yeah. So I have one rule that I will go crazy overboard. It's the dry principle, do not repeat yourself. Um I'm trying to remember exactly Today, I had to deal with something, slight, slight tangent with Angular, where I had to use a timer. And basically, I didn't want the developer have to de- deal with the fact that a timer had to be used in Angular. So I created a method that wrapped three lines of code, just so that he wouldn't have to know about being a timer. All he had to do was simply say, call this and perform this action. The fact that I had to wrap it in a timer was hidden away from him. As a developer, you need to figure out state. You need to understand state. You need to code for these things. And aesthetic but most developers too, what I've seen, is we put this code all throughout the application. Jess was giving you a perfect example. I guarantee you half his code is, if this is null, skip this operation, or if this is null, do something else. If you try to put as much logic and safeguards into the objects themselves, and then all you really ever need to check is, is this object in the right state? And maybe you need to check sometimes if it's null, then you're minimizing the overhead. But ultimately, you have to make you're that You're ultimately
2: just centralizing it, though, which, yes, that's better, I guess, than it being distributed and everybody have to, having to do their own null check. But ultimately, you're still implementing the same null check, and then you're still executing that same code. In other words, if I have an ID or a method, it doesn't really matter, on an object that says, is this other property null or not, or even valid, then that, that, that expression within that property or that method is still going to be a null check. It's still going to literally say, is this other property null or not? Yes, right? but by putting it in one place, I've minimized the overhead doing that. From I maintainability. still have to check it though, right? I still yes. have this logic. I still have this if some condition that equates to is this property null or not, yeah. right? the fact that I've encapsulated it, yes, that's a step in the right direction. Definitely, I'm not arguing against that. I'm just saying it doesn't really buy me so much. Because it still, in the end, just equates to a, a, a null check. It's just abstracting it away from me. Yeah, but if you had that same check in a 1,000 places, is it better to have one place? I'm saying it is still equivalent. It's still functionally equivalent to a null check, right? In other words, saying literally, if x equals null is, or, or I guess saying literally, if x.name, client.name, Mm-hmm. Equals null, equals equals null, right? Yeah. We're talking code here. Yes. But, or saying client dot has name, which the code in there says name equals equals null. They're functionally equivalent, right? I'm still having to make that check. I'm still having to okay. call that code, and it's still yeah. taking up so, a line of code in my application. That is not business logic. It is fundamentally null checking. So here's a question. So yes, in there are cases
1: you would need to do that. But What if you took it a step further? What if the logic of that that object we use uh, Chris's example of uh, of a uh, license? What if you had to say is po- is is birthdate valid or is birthdate over twenty one years old or whatever it is you want to determine? You have a method that does that. You don't need to has the is has birthdate. No, you simply say is this in a
2: valid state?
1: That's then great. You can use yeah, but that's, that's, that's additional
2: logic. That's additional logic. That's not the stuff that I see. The stuff that I see is closer to you know before I call your sibling. Yeah, property, yeah you're, you're right. You're, right? you're, you're wrapping what it I just one step earlier. closer, but it's
1: not solving the problem because yes. you You're still using. To me, by doing that, and I've definitely written code like that. Is all you're doing is providing that wrapper? Remember, I said yes. I hate to draw, the I use dry. To yes. Exist. I'll replace one line of code with three lines of code so I wouldn't have to deal with it. Yes. I can. You can get caught up in, in going too far. Yes,
2: and I agree. That's a good practice, right? I, yeah. I I would definitely advocate that. You should put that in a wrapper. But then what are you going to do? Put a sibling method or a sibling <laughs> property of, on all of your other properties that may or may not be null? Oh,
1: Again, what I try to do is, is I try to get away from the idea that optics represent data and they represent behavior. And by representing behavior, I'm asking, are you in this state? Not just is the po- the something missing, is the object itself as a whole in the right state. That's the one way I deal with it. So getting back to kind of uh tangent away from defensive programming. To me, defensive programming is I am writing code to prevent uh undesired behaviors. Null being one of them. Because that's sure. we started this out a little while ago, we Chris started. What is the problem with null? It's not necessarily that no is not something we need, or no is a is is a bad thing. It's because when we get the bug from the customer or the, or end user, we basically have no information. There could be a thousand things wrong, or ten thousand things wrong, because we haven't planned for it. So super, defensive programming to me easy is to I am planning for yeah. cases where something can go wrong, and instead of dealing with the bug report, I am putting in code checks that say hey, if the middle name is not valid, it's empty, don't blow up.
0: Just super easy in .NET to be given a reference and then you try to use it, you try to access a property, you try to access a method, and oops, it was null. So it's like the bane of our existence because references are everywhere in .NET. Strings are references so here we go. Here's a Yeah. Here, we got to be careful. But so now I right. Well, and, let, me, and, let me just ask if you guys have have considered something else, right? Nullable was brought oh. into the environment several several years ago. Now now this yes. is why there's this is a I we've been leading to this if you ask me. Yes. <laughs> so when you're building your objects and you're and you're putting all this thought into how yeah, you know, uh, I may not know that they have a middle name and that might be null because I, I, I want to say that I don't know. I didn't get data. Null means no data. Null has a purpose in life. So what the heck are you doing with ints? Because, because yeah. unless you're using nullable ints, are you just leaving it as zero or worse? Are you saying like, well, negative one means I don't have it. Like, how is that self-documenting?
2: Yeah. So I love, I love nullables. I love nullable primitives, right? So specifically nullable enums. So the pattern that I saw previous to nullable is the very first value of an enum would be unknown or none or what it would effectively be null, right? Because the enum value could not be null. And so the very first enum was the default, right? So it was if you asked for an enum and you didn't give it a valid value, you got the default value. So now with the introduction of nullable, now you can say, okay, the enum has only valid states or only valid values. And if it's not one of those, then it's null, Right, and so this is another thing that I've been that I've been employing just this week at, at work. Right, is going in and all of these mappings, mapping specifically from like strings, you know, codes that I'm getting from the database, string values that I'm getting from the database, mapping them to enum values. If they are invalid, then I just return null. I couldn't map it, mm-hmm. and I think that's a completely valid output. Yeah. So it, again, you didn't like, think.
0: The nullable addition, which is cool. I think that's cool. So now, back to some one of your earlier points. Does that mean you're writing a lot of code of if has value before you check? Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I'm still writing...
2: Uh, well, I don't. I don't use has value. I treat it as a null object, right? So I say equals equals null. I do a, a standard null check on it, just like it were any other null object. But the same goes true with integers, e- even more so with with integers or numbers, not specifically integers yeah. in general, but numbers, because the default value of a primitive, a number primitive, is zero, right?
0: And maybe that's not the
2: default, right? Like maybe that, that has could meaning. Be, that could be a legitimate number. That could be a yeah, legitimate yeah. value, right? And yeah. so how do you differentiate between the legitimate value zero and oh I don't I couldn't really parse this and so I need to return something and I can't return null. I can't return nothing, so I'll return negative min value. Right?
1: <laughs> right? Pretty like, much for date. Date's probably the worst one, right? What is, what is
2: what is null date?
1: Right. <laughs> it's yeah. the first yeah. date of for
2: .NET. It's min-value. Right, min value. right. <laughs> so value. nullable makes sense for those values as well. It very explicitly says... It's kind of going back to your point that you you first started out with, Chris, which is, like, I'm, I'm giving you the intent. Like, this is not a zero. This is very explicitly not a zero. Right, because sure. no, zero right. could be a, a valid value. One of the problems I've had with, with nullable, and we really haven't
1: came across this yet, is there is another case where null really runs the problems, and that is going from system to system. I think all of us, we work JavaScript code. So that's one we can definitely talk about, but if you're going to deal with a mainframe or something else, what is null? What do you pass across the wire? And I know with nullable types, I've seen some weird behavior when dealing with things going across the wire. So I've actually avoided nullable types because I've seen some weird serialization things. So, Jess, how do you do you deal with serialization of these things, and then you try to not pass null, or... Are you passing null down to JavaScript or whatever else you're dealing with?
2: No, serialization, uh, defining contracts for web services and things like that are actually the things where I use them the most, right? So I came into this enterprise organization and they had a lot of legacy web services already in existence. And the pattern they were using was the alternative, the the pattern that we already defined earlier, right? So you have these sibling properties. So you have client, client client.name, client has a name property. And then it also has a property right next to it that says, name is specified, (laughs) And it's a Boolean, right? Was the name specified, yes or no, meaning... If there's a null value, did the client mean to send that down as null? (laughs) Was that a a a deliberate null or an undeliberate null, right? An an accidental null. And And I think that goes back to your point, Chris, of that there you're saying, okay, this was specifically null. But we've gotten rid of those with, with nullables, right? For the primitives, we've gotten rid of those with nullables where you just, yeah, null is a perfectly legitimate value. And frankly, I don't care whether you meant to send it down as null or not. Right? If you meant to populate it, you sent me the request. You constructed yeah. the request. You populated all the other properties, but you didn't populate that one. I can only assume because you didn't want to, right? Because null yeah. was the value you wanted to send down. But I think we're getting back to the idea of when we're dealing
1: with null from a state point of view and null from a coding point of view. Because ultimately, we don't care. If you don't have a value, we can save it to the database as null as long as that the, there's not a constraint on the database field that says this has to have a value. The problem I see with null is a coding problem, right? Yes. If we go to check the length of a string that's null, it blows up.
2: Yes. Right. Okay. So I I think when you're you're talking about state, so I'm I'm talking mostly the, the... the the times that I'm experiencing this are actually more so in kind of a UI services thing where I'm dealing a lot with like mappings and, you know, yeah. objects going back and forth and, and all of that stuff, right? And so it is very much kind of data contracts more so than than objects and state and behaviors like you're talking about. Yeah. So let's bring it to that domain, right? Let's talk about state and objects that have behaviors and everything, and I'm going to bring it back to this null object pattern, right? Yeah. Where So if I say, get me a client, and that client is a true object-oriented faction, right? It's a, it's a true object in the object-oriented uh, fashion, and it has behaviors and things like that, and, and I can't just start calling methods on it without checking to make sure that I got something back. So in the null object pattern, I am guaranteed to always get something back. Yeah. First of all... Something. A predictable something. And it needs First to be of harmless. all the null object pattern falls apart the moment you enter one null reference into the system, right? <laughs> Basically <Yes>. you're you're <laughs> developing your entire system on the assumption that you will never ever get a null anywhere. And so the moment one thing returns a null, then the whole thing falls apart. Again, this is just my interpretation <laughs> of it. I have. It's not like I built a whole system, so maybe I'm wrong, <laughs> or maybe I just do it wrong. No, but, you, you no, still have the problem right. that somewhere along yeah. the
1: line, a programmer mistake. I look at no exception as a programmer made a mistake. Yeah. Right.
2: Right, so right. So so I get that object. Right. So I get that client. I ask for a client ID, and I get a client back. And now. I have invalid state because that client doesn't really represent anything, right? So what do I do now? I I still have to do the work to figure out if the state is valid or not. It's just not a simple null check anymore.
0: I think it's about business rules, and so this it kind of starts to venture into the domain driven design realm. Which yeah, look, I will tick off a bunch of DDD devotees, right? But the key is, is is that I think a lot of times as developers we have to take the extra step, go back to the business unit. And say, listen, we really need r- rules for certain situations. We really need to talk about it because otherwise, later comes the, re- f- comes the bug report of how did you even let this happen, developers? <laughs> like, you know, h- how did this, you know, we would, this should have never gotten into the system. I mean, to, just to give you, uh, let's just to totally make something up, you know, to say that um, like a patient has, that, that their immunization record is null. To you and I as a developer, we might say, oh, yeah, I don't have I don't have a record. So therefore, it's null." like we, we understand that engineering concept. But then we go talk to like the business people. In this case, I guess it would be doctors and nurses who have to use this stuff every day. And that doesn't make any sense to them. They're just like, what do you mean? That's no such thing. It, it, it has to be empty. And so what do you mean empty? Well, it has to say that there were zero immunizations performed. And, and I'm making this up. But the reason I'm making it up is because I'm not the business person. Like I'm I have to make it up. But zero and
2: empty zero or empty are two different values, right? Exactly. It could either be
0: clarifying conversation with them after having that conversation with them to understand that no no no. In this case, there's no such thing as it being non existent. There is a default value in my business rule in this scenario. So we code to that. And and I really think if we if we search harder, this is where I go back to my assertion at the beginning, is a lot of times when I think we give up and we return null. Which this is a different thing from checking for null, by the way. When yeah. we give up and return null, I think it's because, and I'm not trying to say we're bad people. It's just we haven't worked hard enough to eke out the business rule
1: or and, ask the right questions. And it may be, we don't have an answer, so null is the default.
0: And it may be hard to find. That may be sitting in front of us and we may be in the meeting with the wrong people and they don't even realize that they don't have the answer for us.
2: I guess I don't, in my experience, I feel like it's been the legitimate answer. The legitimate answer has been, what is the value of this? I don't know. Right. It's not that it. So what is the count? What is the count of things that uh, of prescriptions that have been made or, or, or meds that have been dispensed or anything? I don't know yet. I don't have that information yet that this record has been created in the database and it's effectively a placeholder and it's sitting Mm -hmm. there and that property is going to get filled out, but I don't know it right now. So I guess the question there is
1: what you're describing is the reason why we have null today, right? That is, you're, you're saying is these things can be in a null state. So they're in a valid state for that behavior. The problem is, as developers, we need to work around that. Or maybe we need to come up with some solution. I don't have the exact answer, where we have a different kind of default value and we need to code to it somehow. Well, you know, Adding there's... Adding more
2: complexity.
0: There's a whole class well, of developers <laughs> out there who do not agree that this is why we have it in the language. And we're heading into like what the functional programmers are telling us, the folks who are really interested in F-sharp, Haskell, Elixir. And what they're saying is, no, no, We'll use the F sharp terminology. We have option, and what that means is, if an option of T, an option of some type, it's either some or it's none. And as the developer, you now have to handle that. It's it's required in a way. It's it's there's no getting around it. You have to when you receive an option, you know, an object that's option of T you then have to pattern match on it and say, well, did you have a value or didn't have a value? So it's not that we don't have that construct in C-sharp. We do. It's, we can either use guard clauses or we can use the nullable stuff. And and I actually have a feeling that, that from what I'm seeing in the C-sharp 7 stuff is they're getting influenced by this. And I don't know what it means we're <laughs> going to see. Uh, there's some folks Functional out there <laughs> who've experimented with developing what's called the maybe monad. Um, we can throw that in the show notes where it's essentially like wrapping a nullable around every reference that you might use so that the first thing you do is is you get an, a maybe of T and you say, well, you know, you might have a value and you might not, but it's it's a forcing method to say like, hey, you've got to deal with this. And again, I'm going to anger a whole legion of functional programmers who are like, you've described option wrong, but, uh, and that's probably true, but <laughs> these folks will get up in front of us and they will tell us we don't deal with null. And, and you know, we might look at them and say like, why well, you're being smug, but they're serious. <laughs> like, they yeah. really mean it.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I, I've, I've never worked with sharp in, in a professional situation, but I work with JavaScript, and that's, some people would argue, functional to a point, and you definitely got to deal with null and JavaScript, because uh, anything cause in JavaScript can be no.
0: JavaScript's yeah. confused about its nature. No, it's, 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 it's a duck language. First-class <laughs> functional, <laughs> but also prototypal <laughs> inheritance. Like, it's doing <laughs> a
2: lot.
1: So, and it's dynamic, too, and that adds to the complexity. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Alright, so we've successfully almost talked about null for an hour. I think we yes. accomplished something today, guys. I, I think we Did we the, we did the, tip the we talk we about null or, or hours, did we talk about we nothing. Try. Right. <laughs> right. I oh wait a minute, we, no exception. I think we, we provided, stop. I think we provided undefined value in this episode. Yes. <laughs>
0: totally agree.
1: <laughs> I I think the bottom line is gnolls are gonna go away. You have to deal with them, and the only way to deal with them is try to check state as much as you can where you properly and minimize where that's done. And then you yeah, would bugs I that th- come up.
2: I, I think I agree. I think I'm going to continue. You can continue to try and minimize the number of null checking lines of code that you have through things like the C sharp null propagation operator. By the way, I looked it up while we were talking. You, you were calling it the Elvis operator. That's the, the real name C sharp null propagation operator. I'll add some links yep, to the show cool. notes to uh, look at the documentation um, I mean, that, that definitely makes it a whole lot more terse, right? So it makes it a little more cleaner. So it, it it ends up evaluating to the same result, and you still need to deal with the null, but it makes it a little bit cleaner to deal with. So that's cool. So you can take those ten lines of code, you can turn them into four lines of code, but unfortunately you still need four lines of code because we have null, and it's it's, it's there and it's not going anywhere. Never get away from it. <laughs> Chris, you got any any closing arguments? I'm
0: I am personally striving to return null less and find <laughs> ways find ways to not use it. And listen, I, I am not going to sit here with any kind of superiority or tell you that I've got it down, because I don't. I, I'm sure that three times this week I returned null from a method. So it's hard work. Uh, it's just yeah. a way that I'm trying to, to really think about it, really... Is important to me, and it's it's why I was curious what you guys thought about it and how yeah. much you're doing with it. And it was great to hear you say like, yeah, to hear you say, Jess, like yeah, I dealt
2: with it today. <laughs> yeah, no, okay. I open the show all with, day this long is, every day. This is literally <laughs> the one thing I have been focusing on this week. Right, is null dealing with null in my in my code base, and I've literally and I've been developing for almost twenty years now. Right, so I've been dealing with this problem for almost twenty years. Today, this week, in my current code base. I actually switch back and forth. I'm going to deal with null this way. Oh, no, I want to deal with it this way, and then back again. I've literally done that three times in the past week after 20 years of development, right? So, Yeah, well, when (laughs) I'm going to reach 25, I still don't don't have the answer.
0: I just hope somebody listening today heard something we said and said, like, wait a second, that's something I never thought of before. Then yeah. I would feel like okay, we actually got them something instead of just null. No. Yeah, yeah.
2: You know, the before we go, the one, the one thing uh, in dealing with this this week that I actually kind of thought was pretty funny is I, I went with the approach of okay, none of my methods in this class. When they call each other, right? Internal methods, I'm guaranteed, you know, nobody's ever going to call me from outside. So I'm, I'm in within this class, I can completely tro- control the whole environment. None of these methods are ever going to return null. I still found myself, when they're calling each <laughs> other, validating that result. Because I just didn't even trust myself. Even within that method. Because I'm like, you know what? What if another developer comes in? I didn't tell him this. This isn't like... Uh something that we've done across the code base. What if they come in and they add a method or they change an existing method and have it return null, then it screws up the whole thing. Right? Yeah. So then I went back and ripped right. out all that code and did it again.
0: And I think we're stuck <laughs> with that legacy as dot net or even Java developers, which is kind of like what if code contracts was in version one, you know? What if it yeah. was in version one and it was it was first
2: class in the C L R. Yep. Yep. Yep, definitely. All right, cool. I think that is a show. That is right. Thanks for spending time with us. Uh, We hope you got a lot of value out of listening to this discussion. And if you did, please let other people know by submitting a review on iTunes and letting your friends know. It's word of mouth that is going to help us grow and help this thing keep going. Also, please check out our website at staticvoidpodcast.com where you can find all of our episodes and sign up on our mailing list to stay up to date with everything we do. And if there's anything that you'd like to hear us discuss on the show or even just write to tell us how wrong and dumb we are about this whole thing or anything else that we've talked about, please leave a comment on the website or just feel free to send us an email to comments at staticvoidpodcast.com. So Todd, Chris, thanks for the chat. Yeah, thank you. Yep. See you guys next time. And all you out there, we'll talk to you next time on the Static Void Podcast.